0: This, this game. Welcome to Bike Talk, streaming at KPFK Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, Valley Free Radio in Northampton, and WMBR in Cambridge. Today we talk with Laura Friedman, California State Assembly Member and Chair of the Transportation Committee. Her website accurately reports that Laura is an advocate for the environment, sustainable communities, and active transportation. Her appointment as chair of the Transportation Committee marks a shift towards forward-thinking policies such as investing in mass transit, bicycle and pedestrian infrastructure, zero-emission vehicles, road safety, and sustainability. We also have Dave Snyder, executive director of the California Bicycle Coalition, and Melanie Curry, editor of Streets Blog California. Dave, you suggested the topic. It was bikeways.
1: I don't think anyone here will disagree that we can do a lot better as a state. All of our cities and regions can do a lot better in making streets safe enough for bicycling that the average person does it. That the average person who's afraid of traffic, who needs to go to a lot of different places can get to all of those places on bikeways that are safe and protected from traffic. What we are doing is funding a number of bikeways. We're making improvements and people are responding by biking more. But too often, our cities don't fill in the gaps in the networks because of traffic and parking impacts. One bike lane does not connect to the other because of three blocks where in order to do so, you have to impact parking in front of businesses. And even though every time we take out parking in front of a business to put in a protected bikeway, business goes up. People are reluctant to make that change. And we end up forcing people who have to go from point A to point B to navigate just a few blocks sometimes of really dangerous roadways. And there's not enough we're doing in any of our funding mechanisms to incentivize city leaders to do those hard things. It's not even expensive. It's just politically challenging. And When we can give them millions of bucks to do the easy ones, they apply for the grants to do the easy ones. And the people of California are suffering because they can't get from here to there without going through a dangerous spot. We'd love to figure out a way to incentivize agencies to build the bikeways where they're really needed, even where it's politically challenging. We have enough money. Uh, the governor's put $1.1 billion into active transportation, but if we spend it the way we've always spent it, while things will get better, I fear that we won't incentivize city leaders to do the right thing, to do the hard things that aren't even that expensive. I'd love to hear from the uh, assembly member what she thinks we can do to make money available for those cities that are willing to have the courage to build bikeways where they have to be, not just where they're easy to build.
0: Uh, Assemblymember Friedman.
2: Hi, thanks so much for having me here. Well, I think that it's going to take a few things. One is going to take people having more understanding and appreciation of why these projects are important for everybody. And that's what groups like the Bike Coalition help with, because I still hear a lot of people say, why are we spending money on bike paths? It's just recreation, or people can just ride other places, and it's only a small group of people who want to use them. So really being able to demonstrate proof of concept is very important. I've been working on my side in the legislature on putting teeth in an old piece of legislation SB 375, which was a Daryl Steinberg bill many years ago about sustainable communities. And that was a very visionary piece of legislation that asked cities to plan for more sustainable communities, including areas that had more housing near job centers and public amenities, and also more sustainability in terms of transportation planning, including active transportation like bike lanes. So that bill has been out there for a while, but the planning agencies across the state have often not done nearly enough. In some cases, they've done a bit, but many of them have not done anything in terms of making that a reality, even though it really is their legal obligation under 375. So I have two pieces of legislation this year that work hand in hand, AB 2438 and AB 2237, that are meant to put teeth in that sustainable community's vision and to reprioritize what projects we fund in California. So right now, the lion's share of transportation funding goes to roads. It goes to highway widenings, new roads. All of the things that it goes to are generally very single occupancy car center. And what this legislation also does is it adds emissions reduction and vehicle miles traveled reduction as a criteria that's going to be used as we evaluate various transportation projects for funding. And what that will do is it will raise transit and active transportation higher in terms of the priority list from these planning agencies that make the decision about what's going to be funded. Right now, one of the problems with us being stuck with a 1950s vision of what transportation infrastructure looks like is that many of our projects go back 20, 30 years. It takes that long sometimes to get projects funded and evaluated and through their environmental process So we have all these legacy projects out there that are highway widenings, that are new roads, that if we were to start from scratch today, we probably wouldn't want to do with our goals. We want to put the money instead in active transportation and transit. But we're sort of stuck with these projects. And this would help to unwind some of that. So these bills would work together to help incentivize localities by directing more funding, but also start to make them justify what they are putting transportation money into. And then on top of that, I've certainly made budget requests beyond what the governor's proposed for more money to go into active transportation. So that's something that we're negotiating and working on right now. Laura,
1: how can we help you with those budget requests? I'm really grateful to you, by the way. Let me just say thank you for everything that you've done for us as chair of the Assembly Transportation Committee. Your leadership is the best that I've seen in the state legislature in my entire time here. So I appreciate it. And thanks for mentioning Daryl Steinberg. Not since then have we had someone as dedicated to transportation, justice, equity, and sustainability.
2: Thank you. Well, it takes a village, certainly when it comes to all of these issues. So I'm happy to be there to play my role to the activists and everybody else. So you can certainly help by weighing in with whoever your representative is, both in the Senate and the Assembly. We'll certainly need help with both houses and the Appropriations Committee, which is where the bills are currently. Once they hopefully clear those, they'll go to the floor of the legislature and we will need everybody to weigh in with their legislator to say that this is important. And then when they go to the Senate, we'll need the same help on that side and certainly in Senate Appropriations. I had a very good active transportation bill vetoed last year by the governor. So we also want to make sure that we make our voices heard so that that doesn't happen again.
3: Can I jump in with something? I have been watching with awe at the work that Assemblymember Friedman is doing. What she didn't mention was that these other bills that she has are follow-ons from a bill that she had, was it a year ago, two years ago, which called for a study on how transportation planning in California aligns with climate and equity goals and what the barriers are. And there was a report that came out earlier this year that was stunning in its information, although not really surprising that basically the funding that we have that we can make changes in is just a very small amount of the total transportation funding in the state. I think that's probably true in other states as well, where so much of it, as you mentioned, it's in the pipeline, it's in the highway funding program. And there are all these rules depending where the money is coming from, because some of it's federal money, some of it is state money that goes by formula. So like there's not a lot of flexibility in what can happen with that. So her two bills, 2237 and 2438, are both looking more specifically at how those can be aligned, how all of the funding can be aligned with the climate and equity goals. And it's huge and it's really wonky and it is very mm-hmm. difficult to get people fired up about it, but they should be fired up about it. It's so complex that it's, it's hard to explain. And I've sort of been watching it go through where the report came out and people were talking about it and people almost don't know what to do with it. So watching how you're turning it into more legislation is great. But also the challenge for us is how to explain it. And then if you want to back out and look at it on a nationwide level, then Boy, does it get complicated because even though these issues, they exist in other states as well, they're all a little bit different. And some states aren't paying as much attention to the climate goals, for example, as California is.
2: Yeah, I'm trying to change everything. Thank you. It's not an easy thing to do. (laughs) It's very wonky in the way that it's designed, but it has to be because transportation funding and the way that transportation agencies work is very complicated and has to do with, Regional planning boards and all kinds of acronyms that nobody can follow or understand. And how that money flows is complicated. I'm lucky because the chief consultant for the transportation committee comes from the budget committee. So I can't think of anybody better positioned to help with this. And when I came to chair transportation, I said, you know, I'm here to change everything. Like I want to make California a leader in terms of our vision for how transportation works in our state. We have a terrible transportation system here. It's not at all progressive, and yet we have all these progressive goals when it comes to the environment. And our transportation system doesn't align with any of those. In fact, in some ways, we're one of the worst states, right? Mm -hmm. We're all about cars. So how do we change everything? And so this is our attempt to really start to change. And it's so confusing that the only people who really are following it are the planning agencies that it impacts. And they are very alarmed by it. Not all of them. There are progressive agencies like SANDAG down in San Diego who understand and appreciate what we're trying to do because it can help redirect money to the projects that they really want to fund. But a lot of agencies are very alarmed because these are people that have worked there for 50 years and are very invested in doing things the way they've always done them. And they -hmm. they don't appreciate someone coming in and saying, we've all been doing this wrong and let's go in a different direction. And yet at the same time, everyone talks about climate and how we care about climate and we care about sustainability. And yet our transportation policies don't reflect any of that. So this is an attempt to make them reflect that and to make that real in terms of how where the rubber meets the road, how we spend our money. And that's what the bills change. Exactly.
1: One of my favorite political quotes is supposedly from Joe Biden. And it says, don't tell me what your values are. Show me your budget and I will tell you what your values are. And it looks like California, the values going places fast in a car mm-hmm. more than they value the climate or equity or sustainability Absolutely. based on the budget.
2: Yep. And by the way, we know probably who are listening to this, The transition to zero emission vehicles is extremely important, but it's not the only part of the sustainability puzzle because there are a lot of other environmental impacts to passenger vehicles that are not quantified by having a zero emission vehicle. Impacts to the way we use land and heat island effect and not having open space and not having places that have greenway parking. And one of my other bills is about removing parking minimums and saying that near transit agencies can't force developers to add parking so that we give public transportation and active transportation a fair shot at working, right? Because we know that if we make it really easy for people to drive and park places that they probably shouldn't be driving and parking, they will continue to drive and park as opposed to using public transit or using a bike or walking. So trying to give those other modalities a chance of working But if you look at the environmental footprint of all of those hundreds of thousands of parking spaces, and we have something like four parking space for every person we have in California, we have more parking for cars than we have housing for people. It shows you where our priority has been as a state. So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of other environmental issues that come with cars. And by the way, I own a car. So I understand that people need to have them in many places. But that's why we want to be able to put money to giving people other options so that they have choices and that they have options that are more convenient, better for public health, better for their own use of time, better for congestion management, better for your ability to have an apartment that you can afford, better for everything else. So there's a larger view of transportation planning that transcends just transportation and that does hit sustainability in every way, land use housing, our ability to build housing, public health, and everything else. And I'm trying to put that all together with these bills at the end of the day.
1: Can you tell us a little more about the budget request that you've made?
2: Well, I am asking for quite a bit of money, and it involves negotiations right now with the governor's office. So I can just say that I'm going to be asking for a lot more money for active transportation than they've offered in the budget. And I don't know how successful it will be because for every bit that you add in, something has to give somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So it may be at the end of the day that we're not going to get more than what he's proposed, which, by the way, is a lot of money. It's more than we've ever seen for active transportation, especially when you combine it with the money that's coming from SB1. But of course, I'd still like to see more money for transit and active transportation. So that's what I'm trying to find. So if you see anything in there that's beyond what the governor is proposing, that's what I've been trying to negotiate for more. Yeah, thank you. You mentioned electric
1: cars. If the Air Resources Board is right and the math is approximate, but if they're right that we have to reduce vehicle miles travel per capita by around 25%, and you look at the easiest way to do that, which is short trips, 60% of trips are under six miles, I think. That's about half of those trips. Half of those short urban trips need to be switched from cars to other modes. And the easiest, cheapest way to do that is by bike. If we're looking at how to spend our tax dollars wisely, we need to have much better public transit for the longer trips. But if you're talking about short trips, one initial capital investment to make the streets safe. And then you've got people doing their own operating, riding, driving themselves on their bikes where they got to go. It's the only way we can equitably and affordably give people options besides their private car is to make it possible for them to use their private bike for those two to six mile trips. And with e-bikes now and the state supporting e-bike purchases for low-income people, it's even super easy. It doesn't even take any athletic ability Yet, nevertheless, it does force you to get a little bit of exercise. It doesn't even feel like exercise. And that's good for health. That's going to reduce our healthcare costs. There's just so many corollary benefits to promoting bicycling that don't exist with any other transportation mode. Frankly, it's super important that we figure out how to build safe bikeways and quickly. We can't wait 30 years. Most of these plans envision complete bikeway networks 30 years from now. That's not tolerable.
3: Not only that, 30 years from now, while we're still building freeway lane miles, putting money in the wrong direction, preach Dave. Yes, we all need to be on bikes and it won't happen without the safety part of it, because there's so many people who they look at the existing infrastructure and can't get there because of fear or whatever, or inexperience.
2: Assemblymember, do you
1: think that a new-ish program to fund active transportation that would give a city, say, a $100 million, if they're willing to plan out a complete bikeway network that fills all the gaps and build it within three to five years, do you think that a program like that is feasible in order to provide proof of concept, like you say? And who should run it? Should it be Caltrans? Should it be CTC? Should it be the Strategic Growth Council? Do you have any so, thoughts so on one thing?
2: You know, what's interesting is there is money coming through SB1 right now for active transportation, and it's really oversubscribed. There are a lot of municipalities Mm -hmm. that have projects that are ready to go that would be under construction right now if they had the funding. So it's not as though we need to really incentivize cities necessarily to plan, maybe to plan better is always good, but there's a lot of desire out there to install a lot of this kind of infrastructure that we can't even fund right now. So let's say the governor puts $500 million out next year. We're not going to have any problem finding takers for that money. It's very expensive to do these larger projects because of the amount of land you have to acquire, everything else. So there is already a lot of projects ready to go. I will say that the bill that was vetoed last year did put parameters around which projects got priority, saying that it shouldn't be a bike path that's sort of a recreational bike path, right? It should be something that really is emissions reducing. So I was sorry that we didn't have that kind of guardrail around this. But I think with the direction and if these other bills that I'm working on pass, we get to the same place because the planning Agencies would have to show that they're reducing emissions. So they'll be more likely to want to invest in these projects. So again, those were written in a way to sort of do what you're saying, which is to say, you're going to have to be doing these kinds of projects if you want funding and that there is funding available for it. And it allows more of the funding that's going to roads to flow into these projects. And they'll be competing against other agencies. You know, so if those projects rise up because of they're now meeting a different set of criteria that we have in law, then it will give more of an incentive for agencies to go out and look for opportunities.
1: Yeah, that's key to make it competitive.
2: Yeah.
1: I should give a shout out to the Bike Omnibus Bill. It does four totally different but related things. And each one of those on its own is in some states considered the major agenda for that state's bicycle advocacy organization, the requirement that you should change lanes to pass. If there's an extra lane over there, use it to pass the bike rather than try to squeeze in the same lane. That's super important for safety. And in a lot of states, that's the only thing that they work on. The ability to go forward on a walk sign. So many cities are giving leading pedestrian intervals so that the pedestrians can enter the intersection on a red light, but with a walk sign so that they're in the crosswalk when the cars are ready to turn. And therefore, their drivers will see them and wait like they're supposed to. On a bike, you're supposed to wait when you're going straight. Even if all the cross traffic is stopped and the pedestrians have a walk signal, your bill will let them go forward, which is important because that allows you on a bike to position yourself in the lane and get out in front where you can be Mm -hmm. safe.
3: There's another bill from Richard Bloom that would require those leading pedestrian intervals to be installed at certain types of intersections throughout the state. So they're going to be all over. Yeah.
2: There's a good amount of bike safety bills right now moving in. I'm trying to, as best I can, to make them good as I can and to get them through the legislature. We did have a veto of a couple last year from the governor, but we're trying again. They seem to all
3: be swirling around in appropriations, which is where things go, but it's such a mysterious process as to how they get out of there. Can you talk about how any of these bills might be able to be pushed out or pulled out or how do they get out of appropriations?
2: Most of these don't have a huge financial cost, but we have a new appropriations chair on the assembly side, Chris Holden, Mm -hmm. and I'm not really sure how he'll view these. So I couldn't say. Sometimes leadership weighs in. Sometimes it's just a question of where the member themselves prioritizes bills because we all put them in a priority order. Not everything can get through appropriations because not everything's going to get funded. So sometimes they'll look at the funding for different measures. Sometimes they look at the opposition. My bike bill didn't make it out of Senate appropriations last year. So different chairs certainly have different feelings about different pieces of legislation.
1: Was that before or after Senator Portantino discovered bicycling for himself and realized what an awesome <laughs> way it is to get around?
2: Well, that I don't know, but I don't know that he connects this either. I think that he's very concerned about... I'm not really sure what he's concerned about, but he he doesn't seem to like to take the local control, whether it's zoning or anything else away from cities. I think he thinks that cities should be able to decide those land use issues for themselves. Yeah. And I respect
1: that point of view to a point when it comes to bike safety, I even respect a decision that a local agency might make that for some reason or another, the traffic is more important than bike safety on a certain street. But We don't want to reward them for those kind of decisions. We want to reward them for the decisions that lead to bike safety, even if it does affect parking and traffic. And that's where your bills will help. And where I think we can do even more to not just reward the planning agencies for doing the right kind of plans, but in a way, hold massive amounts of money hostage until the cities are willing to build the bikeway networks, including the hard parts.
2: Yeah, it's really hard because when you have a bill like these two bills that we're working on that are so difficult to explain to people, that do deal with these very obscure funding formulas that are hard to communicate, the only people who pay much attention to that for the most part are going to be those agencies that are affected. So what ends up Mm -hmm. happening is that I get a lot of opposition from cities sometimes or from these metropolitan planning groups And then members, because there's not a lot of support, sort of from average people, because they're very wonky bills, they're like, well, my city doesn't like it. No one Hmm. seems to like it. So I'm just going to vote against it and give one to the planners in the city. And so that's what happens. And that's why we have to take amendments to allay some of those concerns. Otherwise, it's going to be too hard for us to get these through. Hmm. And we've already seen there are members who have voted no on bills. It's not like they're flying through unanimously. So it's not even a guarantee that we'll get them off the floor necessarily. So yeah, in a perfect world, we would want to do something like that. But practically, it's just really hard without addressing some of their concerns and getting at least some of them to say that they're okay with it, which is what we've been able to do at this point.
1: Right. Right. You know, cities don't like to be challenged. They just want their money. (laughs) It's understandable, but we need to do better.
2: Yeah, that's what we're trying to do.
1: Really appreciate your leadership assembly member.
3: Yeah, I think this is a great slate of bills this year. And it's been pretty exciting to watch them go as far as they have gone so far.
2: Thanks. I'm very excited about the package as well, not just from me, but from other legislators. I think that my reprioritizing some of what we're trying to do around transportation planning has freed up a lot of pent-up demand from some of my colleagues to bring bolder measures forward. Interesting. Being in transportation, I was chairing natural resources right before I came over and got to work on clean energy and all of those sorts of topics. But transportation was this very difficult part of the climate equation that we didn't seem to be doing enough to address. So I moved over to make those differences, to make those changes. And certainly biking is a big part of it and active transportation. And not just for climate, but for how we live, right? Being able to Mm -hmm. live better, live healthier, to have safer alternatives for people. So I'm really loving the work that I get to do. And I hope that I can keep doing it for a while.
3: Yeah. And it also is going hand in hand with changes in the leadership, at least at CalSTA and at Caltrans, Yeah, where at least so far from the top, they're making changes about how they're approaching safe streets, for example, complete streets. A couple of years ago, it was a hard argument to push them to do that. But new leadership came in and said, yeah, we're going to do this.
2: So look, that all comes from the top. And Mm -hmm. uh, Gavin Newsom and his administration is the reason that that's happening. Mm -hmm. And so that's why electing progressive leaders who understand climate, who are committed to it, is so important because it's those appointees that end up really making the difference in the real policy and how it works and plays out on the ground. And we are starting to see a change. Like you said, even in Caltrans with a lot of our agencies and, mm-hmm. you know, we need to keep that momentum going and that's going to come from the public. You know, uh, that's the other happy. thing
3: I was going to say, absolutely, that people speaking up has made a big difference. Like for example, at the transportation commission, that body has changed a lot in the last few years. And it's because of appointments Governmental appointments from the governor, but also because people were speaking up about the problems. It was just developers and labor who were represented there. And by speaking up about that over and over and over again, they were forced to make a change. And Newsom heard that. And he's been appointing some pretty incredible representatives to this board that makes some of the major funding decisions about transportation in California, hand in hand with what you're doing in the legislature. So it's pretty exciting. Yeah. Thank you.
1: (laughs) You will enjoy the contributions of the newest commissioner appointed by the Mm -hmm. governor, Dr. Adonia Lugo. She's Mm -hmm. awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's going to be great on that commission. Glad to hear it.
0: I'm sorry. What is Adonia now commissioner of?
1: California Transportation Commission.
0: She was local when I was talking to people in LA.
1: Yeah. People in LA are happy about this. Uh, Assembly member one more question what opportunity do you think the olympics coming to los angeles
2: provide for us um i don't know about this year but last year's budget had money that seemed to be specifically earmarked to projects that would help with mobility around the olympics i think that it helps accelerate timelines it's always good to have a sense of immediacy for things in the planning world and to give people a reason to move faster yeah there are three things that they're doing
1: none of which support active transportation that much. And none of which, except for the connection to the airport, really help low-income people in South LA. They're more about supporting boarding venues and you know, gentrified downtown than they are really helping the everyday person get around. And it's disappointing to me. I would love to see some effort to help visitors to the Olympics go from venue to venue by bike with improvements that will long outlast the Olympics. <laughs> Any help you can provide in that, some member would be. Awesome. I'll do my best. That just sounds fun.
2: Going to the Olympics by bike.
0: Yes. Well, last thoughts.
2: I just think that it's an exciting time right now for active transportation, for transit, for rethinking how we move around our community. And it's very important. It's not just a fringe issue. It's fundamental to how we live Mm -hmm. going forward. And I would say that you can't be an environmentalist, really and not be willing to change how you live, to be more sustainable. And that's the message that we have to get out to people. And I think sometimes it's easy to exist in a niche and just talk about traffic safety for instance. And that's all important. And some groups will respond more to that. But there's a bigger picture here. And all of these issues fold together. So when I talk to people about active transportation, yes, it's about safety. And far too many people are dying because of traffic violence. And we need to work on that but it's also about housing and it's also about climate change and it's also about public health and it's also about equity and economics. And that's how you can make the tent even bigger of advocates. And so it's going to take the advocates to make all of this real. So I just very excited to partnering with all of you and I look forward to partnering over the next few years and I appreciate all the work that you do.
0: Thanks, Laura now we move to a big win for Open Streets in New York City. Jim Burke, co-founder of the 34th Avenue Open Streets Coalition, talks to Carl Mahaney of Streetopia Upper West Side.
4: I'm Carl Mahaney, the director of Streetopia for Open Plans. We're a New York City-based livable streets advocacy organization. And I'm here with Jim Burke, co-founder of the 34th Avenue Open Streets Coalition, the group behind the transformation of 34th Avenue in Jackson Heights, Queens, from a Street for Cars to a soon-to-be-permanent linear park. Jim, welcome. Hello. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good rainy afternoon. (laughs) Exactly. So the the neighborhood of Jackson Heights seems to play a pretty big role in the success of 34th Avenue. Maybe you can start by telling us a little bit about the neighborhood and what makes Jackson
5: Heights unique. Um, Well, Jackson Heights is a very diverse neighborhood. It has just about every nationality, every income. I think we speak 167 different languages, a lot of activists and people who fight for uh, safer streets and cleaner air and better schools and it's a very activist community. I saw somewhere, too, that
4: it's one of the neighborhoods in the city with the least access to parks or to open think, space. Is that right? I,
5: we're, we're like the very bottom two or bottom three of open space, uh, you know, public open space in the city. Uh, we also have very narrow sidewalks. You know, there are some of the fancier apartment buildings that do have open space.
4: So maybe walk
5: us through a little uh,
4: little bit of the history of the transformation of 34th Avenue. How did the Open Street effort
5: get started? How and when? And, sure, and sure. where, so where the, do things stand now? The mayor announced an Open Streets initiative, uh, and he did some pilots around the city, uh, one of which was in our neighborhood, and it was two blocks wide in front of our the one Piece of green park that we do have that's public and it looked like a military checkpoint uh, or maybe the scene of some crime and everybody sort of just when they come up saw the police cars parked sideways and officers uh at each corner sort of like walked around it thinking something something bad must have happened there <laughs> and then um he declared shortly after that it was an expensive failure it cost a lot of money and no one used it <laughs> So uh, a bunch of people in the neighborhood got together, we got some orange vests and a sandwich board, the kind you see for a sp- special of the day, like super yeah. of the day chalkboard. And we said street closed except for emergency vehicles. We put that up. We invited some of the media and lots of folks. And uh, guess what? Everybody started playing in the street, having a great day. Cars just went around. We made our case that it doesn't have to cost a zillion dollars. It doesn't have to look uninviting. And we as a community can be trusted to know what's best for our own streets. And it wasn't, unfortunately, instantaneous. We got half of what we have now. So we got from 69 to 78, uh, the part of the neighborhood that maybe has a little bit more money. And then we're like, that's really... Not cool. And then we got, we got all the way up to Junction Boulevard. Our dream and those of our neighbors is still to go all the way to 114th and take the whole enchilada. So just take it off the map altogether. But right now we have from 69th Street, 26 blocks up to Junction Boulevard, which is about 1.3 miles. And we formed uh, something called the 34th Avenue Open Streets Coalition because the city needed a partner. Normally they sought out the police or the bid. None of those solutions seemed uh, the right thing for us. And so, a bid, a bid is a business improvement district for business those out there. improvement district, and you have to have businesses on the corridor. <laughs> and uh, one of the differences that still to this day about our open street is we don't have businesses line. We, we have apartment buildings and homes that line pretty much the entirety. We have a bowling alley, uh, a small restaurant, and a supermarket parking lot. Otherwise, it's all residential. And several schools too, right? Well, that's that's our biggest deal. We have 7,000 kids that walk up and down that corridor uh, starting at 7 in the morning. And then throughout the day, they start getting out at 2.15. And then they have after school at 5.30. So there's just like these waves of kids walking back and forth. The color of their uniforms change and the height changes of the kids. <laughs> but it's always lots of kids. <laughs> Amazing. And this is largely a volunteer
4: run operation, as you're describing.
5: You are the partner for the city. So we, so we became the partner and we did that by really contacting and calling up every single like local nonprofit and, you know, small groups or even large groups like Ciclistas Latinoamericanos, And we said, you know, do you have one or two volunteers that can help us out? Will you have our back when we go to DOT and the police and say, we're going to run this? And so we did that to a lot of different ethnic and different kinds of organizations along the street. And they all had our back and we were able to get the city uh, to recognize us as the 34th Avenue Open Streets Coalition. We had uh, 147 people helping us out. At a given week, maybe 40 people would help us put up the barricades, take them down. And we do programming depending on the time of year, either three or four days during the very cold months or, or now seven days a week. Lots of volunteer effort.
4: Maybe you can talk a little bit about some of the benefits that the open street has brought to the community and where it's made an impact in in people's lives.
5: Well, I can tell you that having lived in Elmhurst and Jackson Heights for decades, I met more people in the last two years than all the previous years combined. And I'm not alone in that. It's become sort of like a town square. I liken it to the boardwalk and rockway. You just, it's the thoroughfare that everybody goes up and down and you wind up saying hello and recognizing people and conversations. And because we have so many activities, you know, maybe you did a, a, a salsa class with somebody or a Zumba class, or, or you know, you know their kids because I, I officiate the races. So, you know, I, I know all the kids in the neighborhood now. We form all these different communities all across up and down, and so many of us walk or bike up and down the corridor. And particularly now that a lot of people work from home, you hear people conducting businesses in different languages as they pass you by (laughs) on the street or sitting on the median, and having a full-on business meeting while, you know, with their sandwich and coffee on the side of them on an open street. (laughs) Amazing. Tell us a little bit about last week. That
4: was the announcement, right? For the Paseo Park. Can you talk a little bit about that?
5: What the DOT has uh, come back, they'd come up with a plan and now they made it more uh, stronger. We had a series of 14 DOT meetings where they uh, met with every single community member under the sun. They came out there, they had done Zoom, they did it in several different languages. And basically, even the people who you know aren't 100% on board, everybody kind of agreed that the schools deserve to be safe. And you can see it when you if you pop any school outside, you'll see all the parents and kids hanging outside uh, starting the crack of dawn, <laughs> like seven in the morning, you know, before seven, uh, just as we're closing the street. And they're still there sometimes at 530 because the after school programs get out. D.O.T. Has, uh, has actually not every school so far, but they're actually strengthening several of the schools and, and our park. So they're they're putting plazas in front of those places, which is wonderful because a couple of the schools had already made uh, on top of the open street. They made a school street, uh, which prohibits cars, and that's made it safer. And this will just make it safer all day long, every day. The
4: plaza in this context is a D.O.T. tool to, to basically remove cars
5: from that street. It's just a pedestrian platform you know, Remove plastic. cars from that street. And by the way, most of those streets uh, had car prohibited during school days and for many hours a day already. So it's it's not that much of an inconvenience, but it's sort of making sure by the treatments they're putting in, you know, planters and putting the, the, you know, that beige sand that you've seen it on Broadway in Manhattan and Madison Park. Truffle, and just, truffle paint, I think. Is what yeah, the, yeah. Is that the word? Yeah. yeah. It looks like sand. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and what they're just they're just telling the neighborhood, no, this is permanently uh, for the safety of the kids. So I think that's, that's a home run from them. And that's, and that's really a step forward to what we, want, what we want to see for the future. You mentioned, I don't know, detractors, say, folks
4: who maybe weren't so psyched about the Open Street for, for a variety of reasons. There's always a few uh, to these efforts. What issues have come up in the opposition to the Open Street and
5: how have you dealt with that? We try to deal with every single complaint, particularly from the beginning. Uh, it's been over two years now. A lot of them, the complaints were, you know, uh, I couldn't get my accessorites. So we say, okay, what time was it? What block was it? And we'll get to the bottom of this. Oh, it's my sister's brother's nephew's cousin. I'll say, okay, when it's you, when you can give us some real data, because we have uh, one of the guys on our uh, steering committee, Dr. Turnus. he's a, a wheelchair user, and he goes up and down the corridor every day, and from the beginning, uh, he's sat in on a lot of those DOT meetings and said, look, if anybody has an issue, please tell me, because I love this and I want to make sure that it stays. So I will will help you. And he works with uh, his counterpart in DOT, which is also another mobility expert, just to make sure that we, uh, people who have mobility issues are, are, are treated fairly. But if you're one of those people who live in New York City and take the elevator down to your car and leave your neighborhood, then you probably don't appreciate the open street in your neighborhood, right? Because you're not shopping there, you're not visiting your friends there, you're not going to school there. You know those people only might feel the inconvenience, and it's a slight inconvenience, but it is an inconvenience. But if you're someone who shops locally, goes to the stores, goes to the schools, visits your friends and neighbors, you're really going to love it because it's you know it's much quieter. It's just it's just a much nicer vibe. It's much more friendly. Um, I live on 34th Avenue, uh, and and if you don't live in our neighborhood, but you have to pass through it, uh, our subways and roads and sidewalks are for everybody. (laughs) We try to, like, so for, like, noise on the barricade. So we put tennis balls on the bottom of the barricades, and that does two things. It makes them quieter, and by the way, it's just because there's no noise, that's why you hear them. When there was cars and honking and incessant argument, no one said a word, right? Right. uh, And you can also slide them, so you don't have to pick them up. You can slide them and, and that that's also, uh, so those kind of things are the kinds of things that we want to do. Every Saturday, we have a gardening cleanup crew for that uh, volunteers from 10 to one. People initially said that it was dirty or it's not. We responded by saying, oh, but it, let's, let's make sure it's, that's, it is cleaner and we know that. So we uh, always check, but the city has come through now and they're providing some help. And really it's cleaner, nicer. We planted thousands of daffodils, uh, with a lot of the neighborhood children last year. In the median? In the median. Beautiful. And there's tulips and daffodils and all sorts of greenery that was never there before. And it's beautiful. And a lot of the neighbors did it themselves. Like, you know, maybe this building adopted this piece and the next building adopted this piece or these three neighbors did this. So it's a variety. It's not, it's not consistent, but, you know, some are lush and some are flowery and some are green. Uh, You know, it just depends. Sounds like New York city. Yeah, exactly.
4: (laughs) So what is the um, community vision, your vision or the vision of your coalition, or if you can speak for the community or or part of it, you're part of it. Um, What's the vision for 34th Avenue in say two to five years or even further out 25 to 50
5: years. What, What would you like this to be? Well, so the coalition sees this as it's just one piece in a network of open streets. Uh, we envision that you could theoretically travel throughout the city on an open street with your family by foot or on your bicycle safely to go to every museum, school, cultural thing all along the city without having to be in danger. That's a doable thing. We want to see more open streets the length of ours that is 26 blocks. You know, one block open street for us, you know, like um, some some of the other Christians like, oh, go do that in a park. Our park is the size of a postage stamp. We made it larger, but it's still the size of a postage stamp. There's no way you can go for a good run. You can't go for a good bike ride. You can't go for uh, many things. Right. And you certainly can't use it to get from one point to another. But on open street, you can. So we really want to see that just take off throughout the city, safety, and just tranquility being two of the driving forces.
4: And and 34th Avenue is often referred to as the gold standard of open streets in the
5: city, largely due to your hard work and the hard work of your coalition. Yeah, there's a lot of crazy people who spend far too much time uh, on the street. I'm I'm just one of those crazy people. (laughs) (laughs) Good, crazy good. Yes. Yeah.
4: Yeah. (laughs) So so one last question. What lessons um, do you think 34th Avenue has to offer for similar similar efforts for um, to create livable streets, open streets, both in New York City, but also around the country?
5: I think you really want to involve the community itself to run it. I think that's been a big boon. A lot of the programming that we offered was sort of grew up organically. You know, um, 13 year old boy said, we should have races. I'm like, where's your mom? okay let's okay let's do races starting tomorrow you know someone else i want to celebrate this okay well here's the form we'll help you we'll help you fill it out because it's boring paperwork but if you want to do your festival your fun thing on this particular day we'll do the arduous boring painful work and you can have your big celebration on the street you know so it's been a really fun collaborative effort uh to come up with this really fun programming that's constantly changing And it's always drawn by, by the people who are on the street. (laughs) So that's why it makes it so special. The city has now uh, coming through with a tiny bit of funding, but we get the same funding for our 26 blocks as a one block part-time street. I think, I think I did the math once. It would be like $2.33 a day or something for you to divide it. It was whatever it was. It was a pitiful low number, uh, more than we had before. Right. So I shouldn't completely look the gift before we had a, Literally, um, you know, I have a PayPal thing on our website saying, can you give us three bucks, eight bucks? We want to buy some Crayola crayons and some orange vests. <laughs> but the city should the city should step up and fund these efforts so that in my own neighborhood in the Bronx, for example, that might not have as many people who, who could devote time, uh, that they could have an equal shot uh, at, at a successful open street. And maybe you could pay those community members to do so. You know, that would be wonderful and there are neighborhoods that you know, have more racism. We're lucky because our neighborhood runs the gamut, right? So we have people who have some extra resources and then we have people who need resources. So you know, one of the things that we have done is brought housing organizations out there to help people battle their landlords or make sure that they're not evicted, get, apply for SNAP benefits or pre-K, you know, all those services that before they had to get on a train and go to kind of a scary kind of municipal building to access, now they go right outside their door and they have a trust because there's people they know on the street, it's not like they're gonna get in trouble or you know get reported that maybe their immigration status isn't quite up to par. And so we can help them and, and they can help themselves, which is even the best part. That's amazing. So this, this
4: street, which started as a response to the pandemic, an emergency response has now
5: become a, a vital community resource, basically. A community center, a fitness center, town square, all rolled into one. <laughs> Beautiful.
4: Well, Jim, thank you so much for talking today. It was a pleasure.
5: Thank you. Berkshire Bike Path advocates
0: showed up to inaugurate a section of the ashu Trail in Pittsfield, Massachusetts this weekend. I had one interview with Nick Russo, and he was inaugurating the Coffee Trike on the same day as the Rail Trail
6: i got sugar, i got creamer, you yeah, creamer out And you guys are gonna have to tell me, I didn't taste test yet, so with the cold weather, if it's not strong enough, please tell me. I, I, I won't take offense. I need to know if I need to steep it longer.
0: Nick really uh, practices what he preaches.
6: I got rid of my car a year and a half ago. He did. So right. now I'm are uh, boiling
0: Can you tell me the history of the trail?
6: It started with the first section that went from the Berkshire Mall up to Cheshire. Back in 2003, when it first uh, broke ground. And it's been kind of steadily expanding north into Adams. And this is the first southern extension that's been built since the trail first opened. So it's been a long time coming. And we're planning to have it keep going south into Pittsfield in the next couple of years. Um, Yeah, hopefully we'll get the whole county linked up at some point. You're Nick's
0: mother. Yes, I am. My name's Maureen. I didn't know about Nick uh, until just this minute. Everybody says you've got
7: to talk to Nick. He's quite a character, I'll tell you that much. Uh, he's a hero of the bike trail, is what I heard. Oh, okay. Well, you know, he is an avid biker, and I guess uh, being a coffee barista on a cold day at the bike trail could make you a hero. <laughs> So sure, he got this idea um, to get this coffee cart, waited over a year for it to show up while it sat on a shipping container somewhere off the coast of California, and uh, it's an e-bike. And so he can basically take it wherever he goes, and this is uh, something that he does for enjoyment, actually. He spent a lot of time learning about coffee and. And how to make a good cup, and hopefully, he's doing a great job. Yeah,
0: he looks like it, and it's uh, definitely a beautiful piece of equipment.
7: It is, it is. Unlike anything, I don't think Berkshire County's really seen anything like this. Uh, it got shipped in this gigantic container, and then we had to put it together, and he rode it to my house to get it home or to a home, mm-hmm. and uh, we got quite a few stairs and. Horns honking and whatnot on the maiden maiden voyage. So
0: positive horns, like
7: Oh yes, (laughs) yes, very positive, you know. Mixed. Mixed. Well (laughs) It was a cold, blustery day, and he was dodging a lot of potholes.
0: Nick doesn't have a history of coffee so much as bikes? Or, Nick, I should talk to you.
7: Kind of both. Um, Bikes, a much longer history. Um, As a matter of fact, uh, he gave up his vehicle uh, a little over a year ago. He's just an avid biker. If he can't get there on his own bike, then he'll get there on some kind of transportation, public transportation. But the coffee just really, I think it's the science of it that... Uh, That appeals to him. He's been a science guy since he was little. He'll probably shoot me for saying that, but it's true
0: He's combining his passions.
7: Yes, absolutely Yeah, and I think that's why he's having fun because he's passionate about both
6: of these. Yeah science bikes coffee and the trail Yes, it all comes together, right? (laughs) Like big Venn diagram. I can point to my first foray into coffee was based on a bike ride we did called cranksgiving over in albany new york yeah. and the prize for doing it was a bag of coffee beans and so my partner and i were like well what do we do with these coffee beans we didn't, i didn't drink coffee at home i just went to a cafe so we are like well let's we'll find a find an old grinder and try it out so i started grinding coffee and brewing it and i just had fun from there honestly just with the science of it started watching youtube videos and tutorials and It's kind of just evolved over the past two years into this now.
0: You are a transportation planner. Yes. The Berkshire Regional
6: Planning Commission.
0: What's that like?
6: I went to school for engineering, so I learned more about how to build stuff and not plan it. So now I'm learning more about how to pay for the things that people want to build, you know, like um, getting grants and and getting the yearly state funding allotments, that kind of thing. So I'm learning about, I've been there for about nine months. So I'm still kind of still kind of learning the tricks of the trade. Um, but I'm really excited kind of, as the like ped guy for the organization, it's kind of part of the job description. So I really want to, you know, contribute to, to, projects like this through my work and I'm hoping to see more ribbon cuttings like this, um, that I can, I can be a part of, you know, is there any way on the horizon
0: to sort of speed up these things so that they're not like 20 years between, um. they said this was this took 20 years
6: yeah that's the question (laughs) um the state the like the mass dot and the and the state are really getting more resources put towards bike paths and bike infrastructure there's a really a push to get things linked through the state by bike trail so i think we'll see more enthusiasm and higher priorities for for these kinds of projects going down the road here so i think we'll keep this momentum going and I think we're going to see more more ribbon cuttings in the next 20 years than we have in the previous 20.
0: (laughs) Any chance of like a green new deal just putting thousands of people to work on on making infrastructure
6: like this? That would be great you know I'm a I'm a big proponent of getting the correct land use and the the infrastructure and transportation to match it so you know as we try and make a housing more affordable and and make transportation more affordable with the gas prices just so volatile. It's really something we got to put work towards to make our our whole transportation system more sustainable. So we've got e-bikes really taking off. We've got these kinds of trails that make it safe to ride your bike and not have to worry about mixing with traffic. Um, So yeah, I think I would love to see a real push to make Something like this trail that a lot of people might think is just for recreation. But you can really, this could be a game changer for getting people to work, to, to visit family, to run errands. Imagine being able to come down and connect into like the shopping center here eventually once the trail reaches the, the, the next road, right? So it's it's really about making it a re- legitimate transportation option for anybody who can, who can ride a bike or a trike or just walk, you know? That's my goal. That's my vision of the future at least. Yeah.
0: Thanks. Thank so, you
6: so much. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Last, a voicemail from Uncle Dan.
1: I think every day we should keep our mind active on the fact that bike
5: talk is a realistic good idea. And uh, you are keeping your mind active on that and know that the goodness of life is health and you've got healthy ideas. So keep your mind focused on, on health, okay? Thank you. Get
7: on your bike. Sit on the seat. Put your feet on the pedal. Get Bike. sit on the seat, spin on the pedals, and run it all around, run it all around. Oh, oh, oh. Get that car out of my way, I want to ride my bike today. Keep me fit, get me there, I won't go stinking up the alley. leave <laughs> behind a bit of grind, I'll let your mind unwind. If it's life, pretend to life. better get yourself a bike. Fight.
2: yourself a bike oh
0: cut yourself a back oh get yourself back oh, got yourself